0: I love history and my, I didn't do it at school, but my whole first degree was in history. And um, here's just a snippet of history for you this morning. I haven't inflicted on you um, a lot of history over the last couple of years, but one teeny bit of history that actually turned the world on its head was the, the, there's some dispute about it, but the, the conversion of Constantine, and there's, there's a whole lot of stuff written about it, and he had a lot to say about it. Uh, there is some doubt as to whether it was politically motivated because the Christians had gone from a small group of people in a backwater of the Roman Empire and had over a period of two, then 300 years, become the dominant force in Roman culture. There were Christians in the Senate. There were Christians in every part of uh, Roman life, in the nobility, amongst the soldiers. There had been a developing and growing wave of faith in the empire. And, And one of the things that historians look at and say that Constantine was actually just a pragmatist. He was just looking at the political reality and saying, if he doesn't do something positive about this, then actually what will happen is that they will become, they will take over, the Christians. Anyway, be be as it may. From 325 onwards, there was this transition that took place in the life of the church. The church became acceptable in society. All kinds of things opened up to them. You became part of the fabric of life. Buildings that were off limits to Christians suddenly opened up to them. And from being pariahs and outcasts and uh, an underclass in society, Christians suddenly had the dominant role and they They came to have positions of responsibility, authority, and they basically Christianized the Roman system. So where the church had been an underground movement, had been a society of faithful believers who networked in relationship with one another. Suddenly, they had access to buildings and temples. They met in the open, and it became, to a large extent... A mirror image, the church became over a period of 40, 50, 100 years, a mirror image of the Roman Empire. And it remained like that through to the Reformation. And part of Calvin and uh, Luther and Zwingli's uh, rising up against the Roman Catholic Church is that they felt that there was almost no difference between the Catholicism that they now uh, had to deal with and the dominant leadership structures that ha- they had they had disappeared from their core understanding of of the scriptures and there was a huge cataclysmic thing that shook the whole of Europe, but I think we would look back on that now and say that the reformation didn 't go far enough, and essentially, when it comes to Understanding the Sermon on the Mount, um, the, the way we see it is actually colored by the world that we live in. We read things by the way that we see it. So I'm going to read you the Beatitudes. It's just 10 verses or 7 verses. And then I'm going to read you the Beatitudes that J.B. Phillips paraphrased into modern western idiom see if you can spot the difference this is what jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be filled blessed are the merciful they will be shown mercy blessed are the pure in heart they will see god Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is how J.B. Phillips paraphrased it for modern Western society. Happy are the pushers, for they get on in the world. Happy are the hard boiled, they never let life hurt them. Happy are those who complain. For they get their way in the end. Happy are the blasé, for they never worry about their sins. Happy are the slave drivers, for they get results. Happy are the knowledgeable men of the world, for they know their way around. And happy are the troublemakers, for they make people take no- Make notice, for they make people take notice of them. I said to you three or four weeks ago when I started out this whole thing on the Sermon on the Mount that the image I have for you and for me of the Sermon on the Mount is that image of the, of the, fl- the plane flying upside down, aerobatically flying upside down. And then I said to you, that particular pilot had got disorientated and had pulled the stick to go up, but had nosedived into the ground. <coughs> I'm Sorry. Western society has done this to the church to a large extent. What the Beatitudes are doing in Jesus' day and I think to to a large extent in our day and what Jesus is doing through the Beatitudes and through his Sermon on the Mount and maybe we should see through all the parables, the stories he tells, is he's trying to turn the world back this way to the way that God designed it. In other words, we've been captured, imprisoned by the society that we live in. Western culture essentially looks at life through the prism of the successful, the famous, the wealthy, the powerful, the um, influencers, the celebrities, they get on in life. It's not the the meek and the poor and the lonely and the... And the, those who mourn, the, that's wrong. And if you look at the Beatitudes in a particular way, you have to say that they are looking forward into the future. Because we, we say that the self-assertive, the strong, are the ones who make it in life. They're the ones who actually come out all right in the end. They've got a good deal. And there's one way in which we look at the Beatitudes as a promise of the fact that it's going to be okay in the end. If you look at the book of Revelation, we looked at that when we looked at it a couple of years ago. But that evil does not have the last word. Brokenness and sin does not actually win the day. In the end, what we understand is that the long arm of the Lord tends towards justice tends towards things being put right. And we can trust in the fact that God is going to do that. And so there is this sense in which even when we live in a world of chaos and brokenness, we look forward in terms of the promise that God makes that that's what's going to happen. But the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, are way more than that. They're for now. Because what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this is what God looks like. That's what we looked at last week. This is what God looks like. And he's trying to get the people to understand that they have to invert their understanding of how how the world looks. Uh, Philip Yancey, some of you come across his writing, but he says, he calls it the great reversal. We've got to turn it the right way up. And turning it the right way up means that we are trying in the present moment to put things back to where they were. The way that Jesus sees it. How do you succeed in the kingdom of God? I said two or three weeks ago. The fundamental thing about all of the New Testament. About everything that Jesus says. Is that you should love. You should love those. It's easy to love. I have my grandchildren in the house this week. It's chaotic. It's wonderful chaos. But it's easy to love them. Because I do. I love them. They're mine. But... At the end of the day, that love has to be extended not just to those that we love, but to those who are near us and then those, even as Jesus says, those who are our enemies. It's about love. It's about grace. And Jesus is trying to say to the people that are listening to him, who have been dominated by a religious world, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and a political world and an economic world that has pushed them down and said... There's only a small band of people along the top who actually are made, them, and everyone aspires to be in that position of power and influence, whether it's politically, economically, socially religious organizations, and that's the world that Jesus is talking to. And really what he's saying is that there is a different reality. God sees things differently. He sees things through the prism of grace and love. When we look at the Beatitudes and you see, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who have got very little, blessed are those... It's all what looks like seemingly weak positions. And paradoxically... Those are the positions which enable us to encounter God. He says to us, I believe through this, that the very things that our society celebrates and puts there and aspires to are the things that block entrance to God. And he's saying to us, I believe it's in weakness and humility and it's in those positions of vulnerability that we are able to experience a gateway into the presence of God. Dependence, need, humility, sorrow, repentance, a willingness to change, these are the gates that lead us into the presence of God. And they are advantages in the sense that it's the posture which brings us to grace. Here's the distinction, I think, that we've lost in the church. I'll carefully pick my words here. A large portion of Christian teaching in uh, right across the board, not just in any one area or one group of Christians, is that, You must do certain things or you must not do certain things. You must give them up. That is not what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's not about doing things or not doing things. That is second order issue. The fundamental thing that Jesus is saying, if you get nothing else this morning, this is the best thing. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Faith is about what you receive. It's not what you do or don't do or give up. Faith, a relationship with Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is it's about what you are able to receive. And that's why he's saying these people are blessed. The broken scraps of society are blessed because they already know that they can't make it. They have an advantage over the rest of us who are educated or wealthy or comfortable because they know they can't trust themselves. They know they can't lean on themselves. They've got only one place to go. And so they receive. And what Jesus is saying through the Sermon on the Mount is that love and acceptance and forgiveness, those fundamental things cannot be earned. You can't do enough to get what you need. Amazing grace is the fact that the fact that we are all stuff-ups and yet we are all loved. We are all accepted. We are all completely forgiven for all the stuff that we do. Christianity is about receiving and that's the thing that turns it upside down because all religious systems tend towards saying, you need to give up this or you need to do this. You can only be part of our club, if you when I joined the assembly of God, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't go to movies, you don't dance, and you do come to all the meetings and you do it. There's a list of do's and don'ts. And then you're in. Yes, you kind of got to love Jesus too, but it's it's what's lost is this thing of absolute vulnerability and humility before God and saying. I can only receive. I don't have anything unless I receive. You say, oh, when Paul says, what about there's not many wise and noble, etc., but there are some. Yeah, sure. But he says it's harder for them to get into the kingdom than for a camel, this big knot, to go through the eye of the needle. (coughs) Why is it hard? Because we become self-reliant and we teach self-reliance as a creed. Within Western culture and it's good people have got to grow up and mature and it's not I'm not saying this morning don't do the right thing. Jesus spent half his ministry trying to put right wrongs, heal people, set people free from demons, speaking up against the injustice of his day in terms of women and children and so on. But that's second-order stuff. That's, that's what we do What we receive is that we are loved and accepted and forgiven, which is fundamental because it shapes our internal being, our our hearts. And all of the Sermon on the Mount is about who we are as individuals. What's the time? I had intended this morning to go into a whole thing of what the upside-down kingdom looks like. But I think that's for another day. But if you think of it, all all the famous stories that Jesus told, the prodigal son, the son who comes back from the land of the pigs. These are all about turning things on their heads. We'll look at in in future the whole thing about the, the way that Jesus sees leadership is completely the inverse of The religious systems of his day, the political systems of his day, it's completely different. What does he say? The first shall be last. Those who would be the greatest will be the greatest servant. Yeah, there's a gift of leadership, but it's about actually knowing how to create an environment, it's serving. I want to challenge all of us to go and read the Gospels again. Not just the Sermon on the Mount, not just the Beatitudes. I used to, when I when I first became a Christian, my parents bought me this beautiful King James red letter edition Bible where all the words of Jesus were in red print. I'm almost saying to you, go back to the New Testament. Start with Matthew or Mark, one of the Uh, early Gospels and read through what does Jesus say and read it through this prism. Read it with the understanding that he's trying to say to the whole world that he's in, it's different. This is what God looks like. It's, It's this reversal of the way things have got to be. And then what's happened is the early centuries of Christian life in the church, there was this yeast that was developing through the culture that was becoming dominant, and then it got caught again in the whole thing of hierarchical leadership, political power, economic uh, growth. And none of those things are bad. But it's about what we as Christians, we are supposed to be the salt and the light. We are the ones who are uh, subversively bringing into the world This kingdom that looks like the way God created it to be. And it really literally takes all that our society has done. And it does this. Challenge. Go and read one of the Gospels. I don't care which one. Go and read one of the Gospels. It won't take that long. Read one of the Gospels with that prism through those lenses. And see what you think.